the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host, and today we have Zane Witzel, who is the CEO of Canador. Welcome, Zane. I'm really excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I, one thing I'm excited about, too, is because we are having the high holiday coming up for 20, um, having a conversation about your product and also just like why having, you know, Canadors or humidors with cannabis is a good idea is um, it's just it's a perfect time to talk about it. And um, I just love what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. Um, <laughs> we, we definitely want to make sure that. Uh, our our customers on 420 are taken care of. So we will indeed be doing a sale. Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so they should be going to your website to check out all the goodies that you have on sale? Absolutely. Yes. No, we're we're not going to be doing any sort of code needed, so the discount will be reflected there when you when you go directly to canador.com. Wonderful. That makes it super easy. And what a great way to kick off the holiday by getting yourself something that's not only necessary, but beautiful. But before we get into all of that, I want to ask you the question that I love asking all of my guests. What was your first cannabis experience? Well, the one that I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, The one that, that really sticks out to me that I remember most was in high school i want to say i was a junior in high school um i i was hanging out with a crowd that was definitely into like they were deadheads so to speak it was we like classic rock pink floyd you know typical kind of like stoner um the stoner world and we just love that trippy stuff and we went down into his basement and he had acquired weed somehow, uh, a buddy of mine. And kind of like that 70s show, we just kind of passed it around and <laughs> exactly like the, that 70s show now that I think about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I mean, that that was it. I mean, it's so simple. It's not really anything like, you know, anything crazy. Um but yeah, I, I just like the simplicity of it. I liked it a lot. Um, thank God we weren't drinking while we were doing it because I've heard stories about people who were drinking and tried it for the first time. And if you're not used to both, that can throw you over the edge. Oh, well, yeah. Um, I mean, even when you are, a crossfade is no bueno. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, you know, it's not, it's nothing that memorable. It's just the simplicity of it. I love that. When you mentioned the dead, I just want to mention my my husband actually played with further. <laughs> I don't really, which is, yeah, which is what Bob and Phil did after the dead. Of course, they had many projects, but that was one of them, and he he had a great time. So it's I always think it's kind of funny that I work in cannabis, and there are so many you know, deadheads are wonderful people in general, but there are so many deadheads in our work. So it's it's a lot of fun to run into people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to, to be, to be fair, like he, my buddy kind of introduced me to all of this stuff and that's kind of what set my course was, Oh, 
I think I like psychedelics. This is interesting. You know, I, I'm not going to go over the board. I'm going to treat it with respect, which I always did. Um, but that kind of set my course for, in essence, where I am today. You know, and and so how did you come up with the idea of Canador? I, and what were some of the things that really excited you about getting into uh, working with an, an ancillary product in the cannabis sphere? It's kind of a twofold answer. Um, the first was there has to be something better, uh, the better mousetrap. And then the second kind of was the aha shower moment where it's like, okay, I need to do this. Um, so I, I lived in Los Angeles. I went to school there both for both undergrad and uh, got my MBA in, in Los Angeles as well. And um, I was at a party or it was a pre-party actually. We were getting ready to go out. And uh, the buddy of mine brought out a shoebox and inside was just everything you can imagine, <laughs> loosely strewn all over the place. So it looked kind of juvenile and I thought, man, there's got to be something better. So this was, I want to say 2012, 2011, 2012. Um, there was nothing other than, and no offense to the Bob Marley Rasta crowd because um, I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes, but that's all that was available. It's just kind of like Rasta stuff. And that didn't really speak to me. It just wasn't my bag. I'm not saying that's that's a bad thing. It just I couldn't I couldn't really identify with that. I, I hear that. So um so I wanted something different. And there just wasn't anything available at that time. Um so that was kind of the first thing, even after searching. Um and then as time went on, it just kind of nagged at me and nagged at me. And it was like, well, you better get something out there for people to see. So that way, at least they can kill your idea or you can go further with it. Um, so the shower moment was, well, it's a, why don't you make a humidor for cannabis and call it Canador? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty easy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, they do say some of our best thoughts come to us in the shower because we're in that state. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I created a few, a few prototypes. I got them in front of people to just poke at, look at, touch, play with and get their feedback. And um, then it became pretty clear that there are so many different ways I can take this. So what's the what's the most economic way that will make this sustainable? Because I don't wanna go down a path of making gigantic refrigerator size humidors and five people buy them. <laughs> because at the time, who was storing that amount of weed? Right. Um, at least recreationally. Um, so I needed to figure out, okay, what size? How much do people store on hand? Again, this is like 20, now this is 2012, 2013. Um, so now we're kind of seeing the, um, the beginning stages of, you know, the big sort of cannabis boom that led all the way to 2019. Um, and so that was, the, those were the early days. And as time went on, I started out with one model, two models, put them on canador.com. 
Um, and here we are nine years later. So <laughs> it, it seemed it seemed to work out as in no one really killed it because that's what I was looking for this whole time was I was just waiting for the market to be like, dude, this is stupid. Why are you doing it? Get rid of it. I think that the work that you've done around that is is just really I, I I like it because one it's it's thinking ahead because like you said there's nothing wrong with like things that are a little bit more Rasta theme that's very much about our roots and the culture but we are looking at a lot of different people who are using cannabis. And so we want to have things that match their style that resonate for them. And I think one of the things that a lot of cannabis companies are missing is this whole other audience of people, the mainstream people who may like to use cannabis, but they're not necessarily deep in the cannabis culture. And the humidor aspect of it is not only necessary to help preserve your flowers, but I think it's also an elevation of the practice itself. Absolutely. And therein lies my challenge uh, as an entrepreneur in this space, because as you said, um, I need to get this out in front of people that aren't necessarily in, plugged into to the cannabis industry. Um, and that's that's always been my challenge from day one, because this product is definitely for like the boomer crowd. This is my dad's product. He loves it. <laughs> that's um, awesome <laughs> you know this is it's a little bit the um target audience target demographic is a little bit uh older slightly older um and i love having conversations with customers who you know smoked in the in the 80s and 90s and now that it's legalized in their state are just getting back into it yeah. Um, and they're, they're asking all the right questions like, well, you know, how do I keep it fresh and keep its longevity and the concept to them of a humidor makes sense. So like they get it immediately. It's the younger, uh, our, our generation, the millennial generation, um, that needs a little bit more education in terms of, okay, what's a humidor do? Why do you need it? Um, so there it's it's become it's been a challenge i would say for the very at the very least in terms of reaching that audience because my dad doesn't read high times he doesn't read the rolling stone you know like <laughs> he did when he was my age and younger but uh you know that that's that's kind of past so how do i reach those folks in the most economic fashion cuz let's face it you can blow a lot of money on ads in major publishers right true <laughs> and if that and if that doesn't pan out you're not left with any money to you know buy the things that you need to actually sell oh it's it's um it's kind of risky in that regard mm -hmm. um, well one thing i was thinking because you have an ancillary company it's a it's you don't have the challenge that a lot of cannabis companies have around compliance and restriction to where the ads are going. I was looking at your bio and I noticed that you're even in Bloomingdale's, which is awesome. Yeah, that that was kind of out of the blue, by the way. Um, that was they originally reached out to me in 2019 and I was like, um, are you sure you got the right number? <laughs> That's huge. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I was very confused. 
And they were like, no, no, no. Yeah, we, we want this uh, for the holidays. And so they they got it in select stores nationwide, not all of their stores, but um, it was like it was like 10. Um, and that was a big deal for me because it was the first time a company of that magnitude, um, Macy's is publicly traded. So and Macy's owns Bloomingdale's. It was the first time a major company uh, sold cannabis ancillary products. So it did kind of make history. Um, For sure. And I flew to their uh, headquarters and in New York City and helped educate all of the sales reps uh, on how to sell the product and frequently asked questions that customers would ask you. Um, so that was cool. It was a, it was a unique experience. And um, th then the pandemic hit, but they did come back to us after the pandemic and people started going back to stores and they doubled down on their purchase order. So that was very positive to see. Um, now everything's kind of leveled off because as you know, the, uh, <laughs> the stimmy bubble is kind of returned back to normal. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. And uh, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not really going overboard in getting a ton of inventory like I did a year and a half ago. That makes sense. I, I think, you know, a lot of a lot of companies in general, not just in, in the cannabis sphere, are really tightening their belts right now because I feel like we're whether you know the news wants to say it or not, we're on the cusp, if not in the midst of a recession. And people tend to not buy as many products that are you know, they may they may want them, but they they wait till another time. Yes, you know. I yes, and I and I'm at the I'm at the front lines of that because you know I'm consumer consumer discretionary. So yeah. it's like, do you pay your your heating bill and all that, which is inflated, you know, double digits, or get a Canador? Right. I'm pretty sure I'm I'm last on your list. So. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're looking for that gift for that special someone. They yes. will very much appreciate it. I remember, yes. I think, gosh, it must have been in 2010. I think 2010. I and My father had gotten a humidor as a gift, and I grabbed it, and I was using it for my, my cannabis. But the one thing I didn't understand at the time was that, you know, you have to – it's a different it's it's a it's a different process than keeping tobacco fresh like there's a different humidity and temperature and and I think you know one thing that I'd like you to explain to people and this is and for all of you people out there who don't understand why a humidor can be or a candidor can be very helpful for you uh, let's talk about the life cycle of cannabis and why this can be helpful and things that you need to take into consideration when using a, a humidor for your cannabis. Absolutely. I think the first thing that's most important, important in um, differentiating between this and a tobacco humidor is the interior. Um, the interior wood for cannabis should be a neutral wood. In this case, we chose mahogany because it it doesn't really give off any scent or smell. It's neutral and it, and it does well um, with humidity. But tobacco humidors are primarily lined with Spanish cedar, which is a spicy 
wood. It, it has a spicy scent to it, kind of oily. And the purpose of that is to enhance the flavor of the cigars you're storing. Well, you don't necessarily want your cannabis tasting different than what you originally purchased it for. I mean, if the grower uh, specifically grow to a, a strain to have a high lemonine content, you want to be able to taste that. Um, so you don't want to, you don't want to have that um, be changed or altered simply by the vessel you're storing it in. So that's the first thing. Um, and the second thing, as you touched on is humidity, the humidity in a, in a cannabis humidor should be lower. Now we focus on ranges. Uh, why do I say that? Because some people get hung up on sp trying to achieve some sort of specific number, like, oh, 62%, it must be 62%. Well, no, um, it doesn't have to be. Uh, I always say, what's the texture of the flower? If the flower is flat pressable, well, that's too much moisture. If the flower just has enough spring in it so that it's lightly um, crispy, but just enough so that you know you can pinch it and it springs back that's perfect that's exactly how you want it um so in that instance the best way to achieve that is in the range of say 58 to 68 on the high end um and cigar humidors are typically kept between 68 to 72 um so the range for cannabis is slightly lower uh, in terms of humidity. Temperature doesn't really play that much of a role. Ideally speaking, you wanna keep your cannabis in, in cooler temps, um, but you know, room temperature is acceptable. As far as degradation is concerned, I, I don't think you're gonna notice anything. <laughs> I mean, you have to be like a hardcore scientist to really measure the cannabinoid degradation factor of you know several degrees in room. Um, and let's face it, you, if you're if you have cannabis, you're more than likely consuming it within a twenty to thirty day period. Um, although, if you do get your hands on a rare strain, of course, you, you probably want to save it for a longer term, and that would be ideal for putting you know in an airtight container in your basement or someplace cool. Um, but a refrigerator and a freezer is not necessary. Um, I think that's a little over the top. And I haven't seen the evidence to support that that's completely nece necessary for you to get the best out of your weed. Um, I'm sure as time goes on, more studies will be conducted for us to definitively answer that question more thoroughly. And I, I wish that, that you know, government entities would allow that, but uh, for the time being, we're kind of left with old data and old information. Yeah. Um, well, and I would also say that using a freezer or a fridge for your cannabis isn't a good idea due to moisture issues. The only time that I use the fridge is for my really fine hashes so they don't grease out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, if that's that's been working for you, that's fine. But we're just specifically talking about flour, just plain Jane flour. And um I, I have yet to really see evidence that truly supports the necessity of keeping it, you know, below room temp to just in a short period of time, like that's going to do anything. Yeah. And I know some people like to use some of the, the humidity packets 
with their flowers. Yes. Now, now I, I recommend those. I, I, we even retail Bovita products and I understand it's a competing product against the vapor beads that we sell. Um, but nonetheless, I, I still like them. I enjoy them and they can best be used for long-term storage in, in my opinion. Or if, for example, you're using your humidor and you're on vacation and you don't really want to mess with all the humidity elements, it's easy to just put a pack in there, put an airtight lid on it, and you'll be good to go. Um, the only downside to those humidity packets is they do have a lifespan, um, but that lifespan can be prolonged if you're putting it in a Ziploc bag when you're not using it with your flower. Um, Would you say that so, for something that's reusable for a longer period of time, the beads may be a more viable option? The beads themselves do degrade, but they do so more slowly. Um, and that's, they have a two-year shelf life, generally speaking. Uh, I've had customers that have had a Canador for five years and say, hey, I still love the way it works. So <laughs> they they obviously have not experienced that or um, noticed it. So it, it can it can be just different based on how people are using it or how often they're using it. But after two years, um, we offer a recycling program. So, you know, if you send us back your bead case container, we will refill it with uh new beads for a lesser price and send it back to you. That way we're not wasting plastic. Um, so that that is an option. In terms of which one is better, because so that's a question I always get asked a lot. Okay, which system is better, the humidity beads or the Bovita packs or humidity packs? Because there's a couple different companies that manufacture the, the humidity packs. Um, and the answer is quite simply, they're both essentially the same elements. One is a liquefied version of that, which is in the humidity packs. And then the other is more physical, like the physical beads, where you actually have to add water to them. Now, you don't have to add water to the humidity packs that are already in those gel packs. Um, that's a set it and forget it solution. The beads themselves, you dip in water and it slowly wicks off moisture to the right relative humidity. As time goes on, it dries out and you have to re-dip it in water. So it is a sustainable product in that it will last quite a while, but there is maintenance required. So what's the trade-off? One is more of a set it, forget it. One is more, I don't wanna use the word finicky because it has a negative connotation, but um, you do gotta play with it to dial it in and get um, the right relative humidity. And what I mean by that is customers in Florida, uh, Southeast Florida, may not need to dip as much or as often as customers in the Rockies uh, where it's more dry. So ambient humidity also does play a role in maintaining your humidor. And that goes for anything, not, not just cannabis humidors, but any kind of humidor. And how many models do you have? I think we have, it's hard for me to keep track. Um, I think we have eight, eight or 10 um, now. And, and I say that only because we've had to add a few and subtract a few. And then there's a few that just aren't on the website that I've been saving for special projects. So, um, yeah, all different shapes and sizes, some with drawers, some with nooks where you can keep everything, everything locks, because that's important. 
I was just going to um, mention that because yeah. I think one of the things that we're seeing more often are people being able to have access to cannabis products who probably shouldn't in the household. And it's yes, really nice. Have, yeah. Yes, go ahead. Exactly. If you have children, if you have children, uh, cause that's, you know, that's a big deal for parents. Um, and you know, or, or I had one customer say like his, he has a teenager and he was just really concerned about that. So, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I get you. <laughs> so yeah, we got you covered there. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a precocious age and you want to make sure that you keep everything locked down, especially yeah. at that time. And I think that that's, I, when I noticed that I was looking at the humidors and I thought, that's so smart. And, you know, when we were getting into regulated cannabis, we were seeing more and more products like stash bags and things like that that are lockable. And and they're they're great, but it's nice to have something that's very attractive that can actually be on your bookcase and it's it locks. Yeah. I mean that that's another thing too. We didn't want it to really stand out. So the exterior wood choices that you have are either kind of a darker wood like walnut or a lighter wood like uh, mahogany itself. We chose an African species of mahogany, so it's lighter. Most people think mahogany is super dark and that's the Honduran uh, species of mahogany. Plus they always usually stain it dark as well. But we stained everything with a clear coat finish to give it kind of that natural wood fe um, feeling. And I like that because I, like I said in the beginning, I, I didn't really want to have this draw attention to it or, or have any sort of decals on it or any kind of Rasta thing. I wanted you to be able to look at it and go, huh, I, I'm guessing that's just a humidor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I, I feel like as we get. Or a box or, or a. Yeah. <laughs> or a jewelry. Yeah. <laughs> that's part of the normalization though, right? People being able to right. you have access to products that just are, they're, they're elegant, but they're everyday products and they just dovetail nicely into your lifestyle. And, and hey, some people do like things that are a little bit more, you know, a little louder, flashy, flashy you know, yeah. we all have our own personal style, what, what, you know, just helps us express ourselves. But the more that we go into the regulated market, the more we're finding people that are more low key with their consumption. And I think that this really is something that illustrates that. And when you're looking at the product itself, it seems like it's pretty low maintenance, with the exception of maintaining the beads is there anything else that you need to do to successfully use this and keep it in good working order you can season it um and those who've ever owned a tobacco humidor are familiar with the seasoning process um there are two methods to seasoning one is the quick and dirty way which we we do say in our instruction manual why because customers have to wait you know, depending upon where they live, like a week to receive it. And then if we were to tell them like, hey, if you want to season this, it's going to take a month. <laughs> People don't really have the attention span to want to deal with that. But if you are a true hardcore enthusiast, you would season your, your humidor for at least two to three weeks. And you can do that by just dipping the bead case in water, um, say a quarter of the way, uh, so a little bit 
more than usual and just let it sit in the box literally for, for two to three weeks. Um, another option, which some people do, is they can fill a shot glass with water and just put it in your humidor and let it sit in there for two to three weeks. Um, this just acclimates the wood to moisture. Um, the quick and dirty way is wiping it down with water, like actually wiping down, um, not with like a super wet cloth, but just damp. And that's introducing the wood to moisture, but it can also shock the wood. So you just wanna be careful with that. Um, the whole point of this is to create a little environment where you don't have to mess with it or do it much. It's its, its own little environment that maintains um, a specific relative humidity that you don't have to mess too much with. Um, so that, that's the point of seasoning is A, getting the wood used to moisture so that when you put something in there, it doesn't suck it like a sponge because uh, the wood's dry, right? It's going to naturally soak up energy or excuse me, um, humidity. It's gonna naturally soak up humidity, um, kind of like a sponge. And what you're doing is just introducing the wood to moisture so that it doesn't so rapidly. I love that. I mean, it's it's nice that you can use it either way, but I know that there are people who love to geek out on things like that. And that's, it's. I think it adds a little extra something when you can get a little bit more involved with setting up your accoutrement and the way that you want to you're absolutely right uh, there there's there's you know i would say it's it's almost 50 50 where half the customers would say listen i just want to use this product as a standalone stash box and then you know half would be like yo i, I really like the beads I, I like playing with them i like getting the humidity dialed in um i mean and and what i love most about it is just how well it works i mean <laughs> You, you literally dip the beads and, you know, within a day or so, you're right where you need to be. So it, it works. Now, who makes the boxes? So it's an amalgamation of overseas. Um, everything is done. All final assembly is done here in the U.S., um, partly by yours truly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we've got bits and pieces and parts coming in from Toronto, Canada. And the beads themselves are are manufactured in Japan of all places. Oh, um, but that we have a U.S. patent on the humidity control beads themselves. Um, so, yeah, it is kind of an amalgamation of all over, but final assembly done here in the U.S. And um, I try to make sure that you know our QC overseas is just as stringent as the QCI have here in the U.S. because uh, I, I like maintaining my my defect rate here in the U.S., which is 0. 0.0001. <laughs> well, that's impressive. So, yeah, I think annually I probably have to deal with, I don't know, like three phone calls. And look, I'm quick to remedy that. So, <laughs> Well, um, customer I, supports I, where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're in Georgia. Yes, I'm I'm in Savannah, Georgia now. That's um, a beautiful I love, place. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um 
And don't ask me where this is going to go for legalization. Because <laughs> I've been down here a year and I have no idea. Okay. I won't ask you that question because yeah. I was going to, I was going to. I have so many people who reach out to me who have attended classes that have been in, because um, I do classes online, um, that have come from Georgia or in Georgia and people saying, you know, we're really, really trying to work hard to to get something here because there are, I feel like when that happens, it's going to boom there. There are so many people who like cannabis or interested in it, want to get involved. And, you know, we sent a lot of units to Atlanta. Um, and what is encouraging out of Atlanta is there's like a beer that is called... Um, like 420 something by Sweetwater Brewery. And they, I think they use cannabis terpenes in their beer and it kind of tastes like weed. That's <laughs> so, cool. I mean, that's encouraging. And you got to take whatever you can get down in the deep south. Well, yeah. <laughs> so. And, and Hotlanta is a very cosmopolitan city. So, you know, you're yeah. doing something right when you're getting a lot of orders out of there. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's very cool. Um, yeah, no, I absolutely love it. But in terms of the legalization and politics, I, I have not been able to really read or understand where this is all headed. And to be honest with you, it just doesn't phase me because, you know, as an online company, I'm shipping these all over. It doesn't really necessarily need to be um, recreationally legalized here in, in Georgia for me to exist or continue. Well, and I think that's one of the the beautiful things about having an ancillary brand is there's there's just so much more opportunity to expand and flexibility even though we are dealing with some financial crises in this country if not the world at least one thing that you don't have to worry about is having the appropriate <laughs> permits to to work in other states. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I know what you're talking about as well as, as far as finance goes with like the Safe Banking Act and, and all that, um, if I read you right. But yeah. And yeah, interstate that, commerce, too. It's you, you're able to yeah. the, the constraints of a plant touching company can be so challenging, as we're seeing with a lot of favorite brands that are either struggling and some that have gone away. And it's it's one of those things if you're working with like, you know, whether it's a, a a dry herb vaporizer or a humidor, there's just so much more opportunity to have, you know, sustainable wealth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's a good way of putting it. It is kind of, um, it's, it's a steady eddy. So it's kind of like the picks and axes, right. Of the gold rush era. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was not, this was never a venture that I wanted to get rich off of. Like I knew that, you know, I didn't look at this and go like, oh man, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be swimming in it. Um, it. It's pretty steady. It's pretty consistent and it's, it's relatively simple. Um, so it sounds yeah, like it's, it's something it's not, you enjoy. And it is something I enjoy. It's in before the pandemic, I was going all over um, traveling to different cities and um, trying to make sort of some marketing out of it because I can't, I can't advertise. Um, so it's brought me to places all around the world, um, even to our suppliers where I literally worked on the assembly line with them. Um, 
what was that like <laughs> it was interesting um but uh i who i i hammed it up and and did some i think i i got up at one point and did some singing just because look factory work is drab right, right. it's just <laughs> it's like one set of things that you just do over and over and over again so it's factory life can be drab and I just kind of wanted to ham it up and and see some smiles so <laughs> the, the dumb American made his mark <laughs> <laughs> well that must have been a bright point in their day because like you said it's the repetitive work is not it's it's not the most thrilling thing it's a job you know yeah but it's yeah. and it probably was really nice for them to see who they're working with and 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 where things are going yeah, you don't really get that for people that aren't committed. Um, they just, you know, go on Alibaba or something like that and find a manufacturer in China and type, you know, this is what I want. And then quote out five and cross their fingers and hope that whatever comes across the ocean is what they saw in the picture. Yeah. Um, that that was not going to fly with me. So I wanted to first, even before pulling the trigger, I met that with several factories and uh, just made sure that, hey, uh, you know, let, first of all, let's make sure that there's no like child labor or slave labor, you know, anything like that. And then second of all, like, let's make sure that it's sustainable and they're not just, you know, ripping forests out willy-nilly um and these people believe it or not i know it's hard to believe uh are doing the best they can in that situation um could it be better absolutely but it's not as bad as what you you know what you're thinking which is like oh these factories are just you know gutting the planet and like yeah there are some but those that i'm working with are are doing the best they can to make sure that that um they can still do what they need to do economically and survive. But like I said, they're, they're doing, they're sourcing the wood as sustainably as they can given their situation. Right. And that's all we can hope. For. Yeah. Well, and then in addition to that, I was reading that you have a corporate social responsibility program. I have a pact with mother nature, earth, whoever that's, that's pretty simple. I mean, you replenish what you take. And so we are taking trees out of one part of the world. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't go to that part of the world and manage it by myself. At the very least, you know, what does oxygen care if it's um, being depleted in one part of the world and, and being reinstated in another? I mean, we've got uh, an atmosphere. <laughs> so that oxygen at least is still going to be uh, produced in general, and I'm trying my best to, you know, have a have an offset here, and this is the best I can do. So I'm planting one tree for every Canador uh, being purchased, um, and obviously the idea is to mitigate our uh, our effect on the planet because you know ripping down trees is depleting oxygen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that is that's not only just a wonderful thing in general, but I really feel like that's the true spirit of the work that we do with cannabis. And we see a lot of different things going on. There are a lot of different players, but the people that have the love and the passion for what we do are aware of the impact that we have on the environment, on our communities, on society in general. 
and and we treat it with care. So kudos to you for really, you know, remembering that spirit and lifting it up because there's you're just a great example of what businesses should do to create sustainability. And look, I'm a small business, so I don't have a lot of resources. It doesn't mean that you have to spend a lot or go through these lengthy things or, you know, just keep it simple. I mean, planning, planning a tree for every unit sold. Some people do that with, um, I've seen that done with like notebook companies. Uh, so they're able to do it. Um, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything crazy. I think that's a misconception about corporate social responsibility and that, you know, Oh, this is going to really affect the bottom line. Like, no, not really. I mean, there are ways that you can do things that, um, that will have a positive impact and they don't have to be grandiose in, in expense. Um, and all I would say to anybody who, who's interested in doing that for their company is any amount of help is just fine. <laughs> you know, like just a, doing a little bit here and there is fine. Will it have a, a huge, massive impact? Probably not. But like over the long haul, it could have some impact. And what's what difference is it to you to make some impact? You know, if it's not... If it's not taking away food from your table um, and if it's not hurting you so bad, uh, it's something you can do. Anybody can do it. Right. Every every little bit helps. And if it inspires somebody else to do the work as well, that's even better. But not doing something creates a lot more negative impact than doing what you can. And yeah, if we yeah. if we all did what we could, we would be making enormous impact. Right. It, it doesn't really take much at all. And uh, I think I think one of the things that holds people back from wanting to get involved in some sort of environmental causes, they go like, what's the point? You know, like what what's what's the point? Woe is me. Like the earth is going to disintegrate into chaos and evil and death or whatever their <laughs> rationale or reason is. Um, the truth is, is like you don't you don't really need to do that much. <laughs> no. It still is a big planet and there's still plenty of trees and there's still plenty of ocean and there's still plenty, you know, like this isn't gonna, um, and it's always gonna change too, right? I mean, our climate, our environment, everything's always constantly changing, has been for millions of years and will be for millions of years. So I don't wanna get too far off topic into the weeds, but. <laughs> I figured no, this, you're is, cool. <laughs> this is the smallest thing I can do to uh, to help, and I hope it helps. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it, it really, you know, it, it's – we have to. That's just yeah. it. We just have to. Yeah. yeah. So, Everybody can play a role. Yeah, exactly. So what are, what are you excited about these days? Like what are you excited about with the company or even just in general? No, I wish I had a, a clear answer for that because I'd love to be able to say something like, man, I'm really excited for federal legalization. But <laughs> <laughs> One of these days. I have no clue. <laughs> I have no clue when that it could happen next year. It could happen in four years. I, you know, we, we really have no idea. Um, I'd love to be able to say I'm looking forward to some sort of win. As far as legislation is concerned, um, whether that be 
you know, financial, uh, banking, um, credit card processing, you know, just something out there that could be a win for us to look into and, and go like, okay, you know, maybe it's another state legalizing. So just keep, I'm keeping my expectations extremely small. If you couldn't already tell, um, <laughs> <laughs> you'll never be disappointed. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, well, cause Again, I don't I don't want to get it political, but of course, you know, the, the matrix of, of the house has changed. So that could potentially change the way that um, uh, things will get legislated, whether it will slow it down or speed it up. I really have no clue, but um, uh, it's going to it's going to make some sort of an impact. So whatever small win we can get, I will be excited about. Um, I know that's a really long answer, but uh, that's the best I can do right now. No, I think I think that's a great answer, and you know, I, it is it is an interesting thing to see what's going to happen with the new leadership in the House. Um, I had the two chairs of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus on the podcast, um, who were both Democrats, and mm-hmm. we had some really interesting conversations. I think that. Just like on the state level, on the federal level, people don't necessarily understand all the impact um, and what needs to be prioritized. Uh, like when I think about some of the things around social equity versus banking and one, you know, people saying that one is more important than both and they're both super important and they both need to happen. Um, and the fact that cannabis is bipartisan, because I've also had, you know, former head of the RNC on the podcast, Michael Steele. And, you know, there are a lot of people on the other side of the aisle that are also very pro cannabis, but it's really going to be about whether they vote with what they truly think or if they're going to just continue drama. Um, and that's, right. you know, we see that on, you know, state, local, national level all the time with politics. I mean, it's one of the main things about politics, theater. So, yeah. Yeah. Theater yeah. And, and, you know, deal, deal jockeying. We could get very close, but uh, that person may want something that the other one won't concede. And that tends to drag things out. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, when when Canada legalized, I thought, okay, we're not going to be that far behind. We, we can't. I mean, what Mexico legalized and Canada legalized, and what we're just going to sit it out for for what? What's the point? Right. Um, it's it's surprising though, because even here in California, when uh, Colorado had adult use before we did, that was a real shocker. It's really interesting to see how things pan out policy wise, not necessarily due to what you'd think, you know, culturally where we're at and how we're usually ahead of the ball. It's cannabis breaks all those rules. It's really crazy. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, So if people want to keep in contact, see what's going on with you, I know that there are going to be some great deals on the website for 420, but what are other ways that they can follow you on social media and things like that? We are on all platforms with just the word Canador, C-A-N-N-A-D-O-R. Um, <laughs> we we engage on all platforms, treat them all pretty much the same. So anytime that anybody has a question or wants to engage with us, and uh, we're, we're happy to do so on any of those platforms. 
That's awesome. Zane, I just want to thank you for being on the show today. Come back anytime. I'm really, really excited about your product. I can't wait to hear what our listeners think of it. Um, and have a wonderful 420. <laughs> thank you so much. I hope you do the same. Thank you. Take care. And everyone remember, Planted is twice a month. And if you like listening, please give us a review, share it with a friend, let us know what your favorite episodes are. And if you'd like to stay in touch over social media, we are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook and Planted with Sarah on Instagram and Twitter. You can also go to our website, www.plantedwithsarah.com or listen to us on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network, where there are other great podcasts like one of my favorites, the Winemakers Podcast. So check it out. You can listen to Planted wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, whether that's Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, Stitcher, tune in. We are there. So join us. And until next time, stay curious, stay safe. And remember, it's a wild world out there. Be good to one another. Until next time, take care. Take care.